Normally when I speak, as you know, I'll normally take a passage of scripture and expound it, but today that's not what I'm going to do. It's more of a few rambling thoughts that, that came to me while I was preparing this week. Um, and I was thinking about prior, the priority of God in our lives. And particularly because when you come back from India, you're aware that people do prioritize their lives around God and around the work and around serving him in everything, at every moment. He's full, he's in their thoughts and in their hearts, and it's expressed in what they say and what they do. And how that is often a contrast with what we encounter in terms of Christianity in this country. Perhaps because of our busyness, but perhaps just because of our priorities. But while I was thinking about it... I also thought about the fact that God has priorities. We all have priorities, or at least we should have. Priorities govern the direction of our lives. Priorities determine where we'll put our effort, our resources. Priorities enable us to decide into which relationships we'll invest our time. And these things demonstrate what we actually believe far more than our words. Words are worthless unless they're backed up with actions. And where our actions belie our words, it's our actions that tell the truth. What you do determines what you believe, not what you say you believe. And so I want us to think about God's priorities for this world, for us, and then our priorities in response. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has has a set of priorities which determine his actions? And these are the things which determine the course of history. And will bring it to its desired conclusion. And they include four things. The first one is his glory. The second one is his reign and his rule. The third one is his grace and mercy. And the fourth one is his love. And we'll consider each of those and then our response to them. So what is God's glory? Anyone? No, it's not a trick question and I won't... <laughs> hmm? His presence? Anything else? Hmm? His manifest presence. Whoa. Now we're getting somewhere. Splendor. Hmm? The fullness of his being. Well, there's a number of aspects just given there, and there's a number of ways we can consider his glory. It, had, it was seen in a physical manifestation in the tabernacle or in the temple as light. When they went in, there was a glowing light which displayed his glory. Or in the temple, it also came as a cloud when they, when they came into worship. So it shows itself in a physical form. But the physical form isn't the glory itself. It's a representation of it. The glory of God itself is the beauty of his divine attributes that are in evidence in his creation. The beauty of his divine attributes that are in evidence in his creation. In other words, all that he is, where it's seen, it gives him glory. And it's seen in everything he has made. In other words, everything in creation itself reflects the character of the creator. And as we look around us, we should see the glory of God and it should lead us back to worship of him. And when humanity worships the creation and not the creator, as it's suggested in Romans 125, 
we're giving glory due to him to others. And this can be if we let anything in life take priority over him. It includes money, sex, power, idol worship, and that can be pop idols, football teams, etc. And no, I don't put Man United above God. (laughs) I didn't even watch Match of the Day last night. (laughs) But in scriptures, it, it says... He will not give his glory to another in Isaiah 42.8. Neither should we. His glory needs to go back to him. Worship needs to have first priority. You see, humanity itself, we, you, the people I'm looking at in the eyes, you are the pinnacle of creation. Do you feel like that this morning? You're the pinnacle of creation. You're the top one. Yeah, that which God was aiming at from the beginning. (laughs) You're made in his image. And even in our depravity, when we see acts of heroism, love, mercy and grace that reflect the character of God, they all point us back to him. You give glory just by your very presence. Because in you, is the presence or the reflection of the glory of God. You are his handiwork. And Isaiah tells us, everyone who's called by my name and whom I've created, for my glory, he says, for my glory. Everyone is created for his glory. You're created, your very purpose, your very being, your very existence on this earth is to give glory. Because you reflect the glory, the character, the manifest presence of the creator. And we're created to demonstrate the glory of God in the earth, to represent him in creation. And it's still his desire that we should do so. And the more that we become like Jesus, the more that's the case. Now just turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.18. See what it says there. 2 Corinthians 4.18. We'll start in verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us eternal weight and eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are are not seen are eternal. All that we go through, it says, is producing a weight of glory in us. A weight of glory. And I can't find, there was another piece I wanted to pick out of there, but I've just lost it for a moment. Ah. No, I can't see it. But it's saying, all that we go through in life produces that glory within us. It shapes us, it forms us, it makes us more into his image. And it also says that as we look on the face of Jesus, we see reflected back his glory. And the more you look into the face of Jesus, the more you will become like him. And the glory of God will be revealed in and through you. So it's an encouragement. Look on Jesus often. And allow the formation that's happening within you through all that life brings to bring out the glory of God 
For God, glory is his priority. Keep your gaze on Jesus. Allow him to do his work. So that's the first priority, his glory. Do you feel full of glory this morning? Well, know that you are. You're here to reflect the glory of God. Secondly, his rule and reign. In creating humanity, God gave us a role to fulfill. And that was to rule the earth on his behalf. It says it very clearly in Genesis 1, 26 and 20 to 28. Rule over the birds of the air, the, the animals, the, the, the fish of the sea, and subdue them. That was the role given to humanity in the beginning. And we were given that role on behalf of God. We were to look after the earth as delegates on his behalf. God is the king of the universe, but he delegated this small corner of the universe to us. But when humanity fell, we chose to come out from under the rule of God, and instead we came under a different rule. We submitted ourselves to the rule of Satan. And at that moment, Satan became the god of this world, which Paul describes him as, and Jesus describes him as the ruler of this world. And all humanity who is not submitted to the rule of God is by default submitted to the rule of Satan. That's the choice. Nobody is a free spirit. Nobody is independent. Nobody is outside of somebody's rule. And your choice is... You submit to God's rule, or you submit to Satan's rule. There's no middle ground. And he has entitlement to rule over all those who choose to submit to him. Satan does. However, when Jesus triumphed over him through the cross and the resurrection, he opened the way for us to come out from under the rule of Satan and to submit ourselves again to God's rule. See, salvation is not just about sins forgiven, guilt removed, healing or a restored relationship with God. It is about all those things, but it's about much more than that. It's about a transfer of ownership. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore serve God with your bodies. Colossians 1.13-14 says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Everything has changed. We're not under that rule and authority anymore. So we shouldn't live as if we're still under that rule and authority. We're under a different king. We're not under Satan's rule. We're out of Satan's rule. Jesus has triumphed over him at the cross and in the resurrection. We're under God's rule now. We're under a different king. We have a different monarch. We have a different one who is directing the course of our lives. We don't have to submit and surrender to his rule anymore. We're in a different place. In addition, we are partners with him in working out that rule upon the earth. You see, for every person who comes to faith, the kingdom has been extended a little further. For every person who is healed, the destructive rule of Satan is diminished a little more. And you and I have a role to play in bringing the kingdom rule and reign of God to earth. By bringing people to faith and by seeing his healing power work to break the power of the enemy. Until Jesus returns to make good what has already been established. Because when Jesus returns, the righteous reign of God will come in fullness upon the earth. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. 
But the whole of history is part of this plan to restore all things under his rule. And our part in it is to surrender ourselves and then to work as his agents of transformation in the earth. So the kingdom is seen a little more amongst us and a little more around us in every day, in every way. God is interested and has a priority on his rule and reign because his rule and his reign will bring deliverance from the earth and salvation to humanity. But our choice is to submit, to surrender, to lay down our rule, which is actually siding with Satan, and surrender instead in all areas to his rule. The next priority is his grace and mercy. You see, God doesn't treat us as we deserve. Some of you should be grateful about that. (laughs) I know I am. (laughs) If it was the case, he would have been in his rights to have destroyed the earth and all humanity with it at the fall. Instead, he's chosen to work with us in salvation, in a plan that was formed before the universe was created. See, God knew we were going to mess it up. But he made us anyway. And Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the earth. It was already in the mind of God how he would bring about that rescue plan right at the beginning. And because of his grace and his mercy, he chose nevertheless to make us, but to save us as well. And his plan involved one man, Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And from this one man, he brought forth a nation to demonstrate the life of God in the earth. And from this nation, he brought a saviour, Jesus, who would mediate his salvation to all the earth and bring a new single nation from the Jews and Gentiles to demonstrate his grace and mercy to all creation. And in his grace, he has given us what we do not deserve, forgiveness, freedom, restoration, adoption, inheritance. And in his mercy, he's not given us what we do deserve. Condemnation, punishment, oblivion. And even now, because of that grace and mercy, he continues to hold out his nail-scarred hand of grace and mercy to the world, despite its rejection of him. And he will continue to do so until his return. Grace and mercy is another one of his priorities. And then the fourth one is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. For God didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world or judge the world, but the world would be saved through him. All of God's actions ultimately flow out from his love. It was his love that motivated him to create the universe so that he could share his magnificence with creation. It's out of that love that he's working to bring all things under his rulership because he doesn't rule as a tyrant but as one who knows what's best for his creation and will seek to work out that rule on the earth. It's out of his love that his grace and mercy has flowed to all upon the earth so that all who call on the name of the Lord should be saved. It was his love and not the Romans that kept Jesus nailed to the cross. It's his love that does not give up on us when we fail him, but instead comes alongside us, bringing us to repentance and 
encouraging us to give it another go. It's the love of God that's been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See how great the Father's the love. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such as we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it didn't know Him. How great the love has been poured out on each one of us. If we could but grasp or glimpse how much God loves us, I believe it would transform our lives completely. Everything he does flows out of that love. Everything that you are is only because of his love. And everything in this universe ultimately flows out of his love. And his plans and purposes will ultimately bring that about because he loves the world that he's created. What about our priorities? Human love is so fickle, isn't it? It's based on feelings. It's determined by moods and events. It can grow and diminish over time. God's love is not like that. It's constant. It's certain. It loves the unlovable and the unlovely. Given all that God has done for us and continues to do for us, what should be the priority of our lives? That's not a trick question, by the way. I think the answer is quite obvious. Our priorities need to line up with his priorities. We need to reflect his glory. We need to submit to his rule and reign. We need to mediate his grace and mercy. And we need to demonstrate his love. As we look at our lives, where we spend our time, our resources, where we put our emotional investment How much of it lines up with his priorities? All of us live busy lives. We have lots of things competing for our attention. Work, family, financial pressures, health, etc. However, I believe our lives will be a little more fulfilled if we work on aligning all of these things with God's priorities. What does God want you to do with your life? You're not just here to procreate the species. You're not just here to live 80 years or so and then pass on. You're part of God's great plan for the world. You're part of his great scheme to see that his kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven. I can only encourage us all to make his will our number one priority. And so for myself, I conclude with the words of Joshua's final speech. And the people of Israel, to the people of Israel in Joshua 24, 15, he said, If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served or who will be on the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And my choice is to serve the Lord and put his priorities above everything else. You must make your choice. And I'll leave that with you. Thank you. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for all that you've done, for all that you've poured out for us in and through your son Jesus. And I just pray, Lord God, that we as a people may put your priority up above all else. 
that we might indeed demonstrate your glory, mediate your grace and mercy, and demonstrate your love in all things. Amen.